Okay, here we go. <laughs> Off and running, Masterful Living, Year 3. Wunderbar. <laughs> oh, so let's take that breath together, that breath of love and gratitude, so precious to us. So grateful to open our hearts and open our minds to the power and the presence of love, infinite love, dynamic love. It is the power of love in, through, and around us that is our healing, that is our awakening. We take this breath together and we join together for the purpose of remembering our true nature is already perfect. We are the perfect givers and receivers of love already. And we are willing to know it and to recognize it and to see it in our brothers and sisters as well as ourselves. Taking this breath of love and gratitude together, we partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self to remember and recognize our true nature is already free, already unlimited. So we're consciously laying on the altar any and all limited beliefs about ourselves or anyone else. We are grateful and thankful to open our minds to an awakened awareness of our wholeness. We share the benefits with everyone because we're one with them. In gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hmm. Yes, indeed. So good. So I'm going to take us interactive here and unmute everyone who's on the phone. So uh, in case anybody listened to yesterday's class, I still am without my computer. So I I, uh, left my power cable in New Jersey. I'm in Vermont now, camping again near our beloved Venerable. And uh, I'm looking forward to being with her on the weekend. And uh, so uh, I'm working with my phone. Yes. Having a closer relationship with my phone. (laughs) Ah, So... uh, Let's see. I'm going to take us interactive here so you know what to do. Let's do it. All right. So now let us say hello. So we have uh, a relatively small group here so far. So for those who are on the line, uh, anybody in the South would like to say hi first? Hi, Jennifer. It's Lana. Hey, Lana. Anybody in New England like to say hello? Hello. It's Lawrence. (laughs) Hey, Lawrence. Anybody in Pennsylvania like to say hello? Hello, it's Linda. And anybody on the West Coast like to say hello? Anybody in Portland, Oregon like to say hello, Carla? (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, Spirit has guided us, uh, fortunately, and uh, to 
the teacher's manual once again, and we're looking at how is healing accomplished. It's chapter five, and it's my page 17 in the manual for teachers. And uh, boy, healing is such a big theme this year. It really is. It's never been such a strong theme in Mass for Living as it is this year. And I, for one, am grateful because I know that everything that we're doing and have been doing for many years is all about healing. So we're getting more focused. More light pouring into this dimension is narrowing our focus to what is truly important and truly valuable. And how is healing accomplished? It starts uh, with a very intriguing statement. It says, healing involves an understanding of what the illusion of sickness is for. Healing is impossible without this. Healing involves an understanding of what the illusion of sickness is for. So let's find out what the illusion of sickness is for. It says, healing is accomplished the instant the sufferer no longer sees any value in pain. Now, that's a challenging statement. Healing is accomplished the instant the sufferer no longer sees any value in pain. Mm-hmm. So... Let's just tune in, all of us. So healing involves an understanding of what the illusion of sickness is for. Healing is accomplished the instant the sufferer no longer sees any value in pain. So let's just tune in here and open our mind to the higher Holy Spirit self and call upon the ascended masters the archangels and the ancestors. And we invoke the violet flame to soak and saturate Mother Earth, every being, every kingdom, every particle of life to fill our heart and mind. And we are willing to have an understanding of what the illusion of sickness is for. We are willing to give up seeing any value in pain. And we're calling forth divine insight, wisdom, and clarity to help us see where we are finding value in pain, where we have attachment to pain, where we have attachment to suffering. We are willing to see it now, plainly and clearly, and make a holy offering for the benefit of all. We are grateful to allow it to be so, and so it is. Amen. And so, I invite you to, again, partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self and ask, What value am I finding in pain? What is the value that I am finding in pain? Where is it hidden? Where in the mind, where in our life is that value being hidden? 
Our willingness is all that's required. So we don't have to find it. We don't have to search for it. We simply have to be willing to have it be revealed to us in our mind. Has anybody discovered any value that they're finding in pain? Has anything, any ahas, any insights come to you? All right. Um, just quick, Moira. Hi. Um, I, I, hi. I only just tuned in a couple of minutes ago, so I didn't hear the, the first start of the meditation and prayer. But um, what came to me about illness and pain holding was it holds me back. That's the purpose. That was the answer to the question you you posed. It holds me back, which in a fear state is a good thing because being held back protects us well you know from uh, success and being pulled down and fear of failure and seeing ourselves in a better light right so what what is the value that the ego finds in that Oh, um, um, being small, the value of being small. You know, the mm-hmm. safety, um, um, staying within limited boundaries so that, you know, one doesn't get ahead of oneself or one doesn't stick one, one's head over the parapet. Um, in Australia, we call it the tall poppy syndrome, you know, where poppies that grow a little bit taller than others um, mm-hmm. can be, you know, lopped off because mm-hmm. Australia celebrates success as well as some other countries. Mm. Yeah, fear, fear of, um, and fear of uh, not being good enough or together enough or smart enough to actually attract the attention that success attracts. Fear of not being cool enough, you know, um, mm-hmm. to win a, a, a race at primary school. Mm-hmm. Fear of not being enough to deserve success. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned safety and uh, as a premise there, and uh, that certainly makes sense. I understand what you're saying exactly. And do you remember what the course says about where our safety lies? Or does anybody remember that? In our defense, defenselessness. Yes, mm-hmm. in our defenselessness. Mm. So... The ego definitely has a misperception about where our safety lies. 
And uh, that's one of the things that's been most interesting to me in my whole life is to uh, discover for myself that exactly that in my defenselessness, my safety lies. And for me, I realized the more I open my heart, the safer I am. The more which, I open my heart, yeah. Yeah, which is in direct con- contradiction to um, what I told myself from, um, you know, childhood onwards, which was show no fear. Don't let the bastards know they've hurt you. Right. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And also attack is the best form of defense. Absolutely. Didn't do that, but, you know, attack as a defense, certainly. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that was where I used to live, for sure. The best defense is a good offense. Jennifer, this is Lana. What I got, it didn't come right away, but it it, it did eventually come. I'm having some pain in my, my knee, and what I mm-hmm. got was a, a self-sabotage. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. So how could self-sabotage be valuable to the ego? Um, because it's keeping you in, in guilt and self-punishment, which is keeping the yeah. ego alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what's the cycle of self-sabotage? So do you have any sense of what comes first in the cycle? <clears throat> Guilt. Okay. And is it, we don't need to identify the guilt necessarily. Is it success? Say that again, Lawrence. Judgment. Judgment comes first? Yeah. So guilt and judgment can very often be virtually the same thing. We have a judgment, we feel guilty. Fear is a big motivator, has been my life. And fear is always the byproduct of judgment. And in fact, we fear being judged and that becomes a great motivator. So we've already been judged by our ego. And then we fear other people echoing that judgment, making it seem more real. So in that cycle with self-sabotage, so there's guilt, there's judgment, there's fear. Then the self-sabotage, which could be in so many ways. Lana, do you want to say anything that comes to your mind first? 
Well, with self-sabotage, uh-huh. well, I guess it keeps you from moving forward. Um, and I saw it with my mom. I see, I've seen in patterns with myself and my mom. Mm-hmm. After she had a heart attack, she she finally was getting things together and started uh, doing cardio rehab and was doing so well with exercising for the first time. Uh, she was really taking good care of herself. And things were going so good, and then all of a sudden she developed psoriasis so bad on her feet that she could not put sneakers on and even walk on them, which ended that. And so two days ago I started an exercise program, and then my knee has flared up again. Mm. So where are you perceiving the self-sabotage? Hmm. Well, one of my deep desires of my heart is to, I've really gotten out of shape. I've gained a lot of weight. I I was exercising in 2014. Then in 15, I I hurt my knee, stopped. That's when I started gaining the weight and got Mm -hmm. really out of shape, Mm -hmm. the worst shape that I've ever been in. And so this knee could just keep me in that or... Maybe it's telling me that I need to just have surgery. I would really like to heal it without having to have the surgery. Mhm, mhm. So it keeps you stuck. Stuck in old patterns. Mhm. Wow. Uh, one of the things I learned for sure with my own uh, self-sabotage issues was that the purpose of the self-sabotage is to slow down our spiritual growth. When we start growing faster than the ego is comfortable with, there comes the self-sabotage. That makes sense. Because the the self-sabotage also makes us feel guilty, ashamed, afraid, judgmental of ourselves, fearing the judgments of others. So then it just keeps going around and around faster and faster. Well, yeah, that's what it feels like. Yeah. Yep, and for me it used to feel like a whirlpool pulling me down. Mm-hmm. And I literally remember sitting in, like, my living room at night, drinking, smoking, and thinking, just tell them I tried. I really, really tried. I just couldn't do it. It was too hard. I tried. I tried so hard, but I I just couldn't do it. It was too hard. Because I felt so much that I was being pulled in by a whirlpool. And I remember I had a conversation with Venerable about this one time. And it really is that we are 
designed to be the perfect givers and receivers of love. And as soon as we start judging, we are blocking that flow. And that perfect giving and receiving of love keeps us renewed. It keeps us restored. It keeps us flying in the spirit. It keeps us in that place of being refreshed, alert, awake, alive to the loving opportunities. But as soon as we start judging, then we start blocking the flow, and then we're not getting that sense of refreshment and and renewal. So you can think of, in a sense, what I'm getting now is, think of, if you have, if you cut off the blood flow to a limb, right, to your arm, your leg, to a finger, to a part of your body, if you cut off the flow of blood for long enough, it's going to start to atrophy. And then it will wither and die. The same thing if you cut off the flow of water to a plant, it's going to wither and die. It needs to be in the flow in order to thrive. But with our judgments, we take ourselves out of the flow. We can no longer thrive. And whether we recognize it or not, we start to feel ashamed and guilty because in our awareness, we know that we know the cost of judgment. It's written in our heart. We know it. So if we choose it anyway, we have this sense of guilt. But part of why we have the sense of guilt, too, is because, or the main reason we have the sense of guilt is we are making it all so real. But if you think of, for instance, think of a child playing make-believe. And in the make-believe, they kill each other. Cowboys and Indians, right? In the non-PC days. They play games where they kill each other. You know, my my brother's kids and even his wife, they like to play paintball, you know, where they have guns and they're shooting each other with the paint. But it's, you know, it's a kind of a war game. And I'm not judging it. It actually sounds like a lot of fun. But it's fun because they also know it's not real. They're not making it real. But in if in our mind it seems very real to us, then we're going to get hurt, we're going to be offended. We're going to feel damaged and broken. We'll feel lost. It's the meaning we make of it. It's our interpretation. So let's go back here to uh, Moira. We're in um, the Manual for Teachers, Chapter 5, 
how is healing accomplished? Healing involves an understanding of what the illusion of sickness is for. Healing is impossible without this. Let's, let's really keep that present in our mind that unless we understand what the illusion of sickness is for, healing is impossible. So healing is accomplished the instant the sufferer no longer sees any value in pain. Who would choose suffering unless he thought it brought him something and something of value to him? He must think it is a small price to pay for something of greater worth. For sickness is an election a decision. It is the choice of weakness in the mistaken conviction that it is strength. Now, I would like to be really clear here that we don't judge ourselves for sickness or weakness because that that doesn't help us either. There's just no point in that whatsoever. So our healing comes from really realizing that this world is a world of exploration and that our perfection and our wholeness cannot be tampered with at all. It's just not even remotely possible. So the illusion of sickness is what we're talking about here. The illusion of sickness is election. It's decision. It is a choice of weakness in the mistaken conviction that it is strength. So this is something very intriguing for us to look at as well. How could sickness be mistakenly believed that it is strength? Let's see if we can find out here. It says, when this occurs, real strength is seen as threat and health as danger. So when we've made the choice for sickness, then real strength is seen as threat and health as danger. So let's define some of these these uh, terms so, so we have a cl- clearer understanding. So who would choose suffering unless he thought it brought him something and something of value to him. He must it is a small price to pay for something of greater worth. So what would be the thing of greater worth? What would be the thing of greater worth? If sickness is a small price to pay for something of greater worth, what would the greater worth be? This Just take a stab at it. What could it be? Your individuality? Yeah, Lana. So it's it's you get to be the god of your world. You get to be the one who decides who's good and bad, who's right and wrong. Could it be for the healing of karma from past lives? Say a little bit more about that, Linda. Hmm. Well, I I did a little bit of past life work, and though I'm not sick, <laughs> um, I I just I have the experience that. 
in one of my past lives, I was this very tall, athletic black man, and um, I was captured and made to fight in an army and kill people. And when I came out of that experience, I got the sense that that's why I came into this world as a short, round woman, (laughs) because I didn't want to have to go through that experience again. And I felt like it was a way for me to experience some of the helplessness or just to have some of the experiences of those that I may have killed and their families. I don't know. It just it felt mm-hmm. like some kind of retribution. So some kind of punishment? Hmm. Well, I don't know if it was really a, a punishment or just a, a way of me experiencing some of the emotions that I may have caused others to feel. Mm-hmm. Just to experience, mm-hmm. not really as a as a punishment. Mm-hmm. So an opportunity to strengthen your compassionate heart. Yes. Yes, because I I had the sense that in that lifetime I was very angry and vengeful and, um, you know, lashed out at everybody, literally. And now I'm I'm not that way. I'm soft and compassionate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in this text here in the manual for teachers where it says sickness is an election, a decision, it is the choice of weakness in the mistaken conviction that it's strength. So my understanding of that is that the choice of weakness is the choice of being a victim. We can be our own victim. You know, because the ego uh, believes in multiplicity and duality. So the ego, one thing about the ego is it so frequently will divide itself and say things to us like, well, I know I'm an idiot, but at least I'm an idiot, but at least I know I'm an idiot. So judging us as being an idiot, but then being superior to the idiot, because at least I know I'm an idiot.
So the ego will be the victim and see that even as strength. The, the mistaken conviction that this weakness, this victimhood is strength. And when this occurs, real strength is seen as a threat and health as danger. So the real strength, it comes from forgiveness. It comes from non-judgment. The real strength comes from compassion, being loving. And so to the victim who wants to stand uh, and make accusations about the attacker, the oppressor, doesn't know anything about love. Think about the victim stories that you know or whenever you have felt like a victim. What was operating in your heart when you felt like a victim? What was operating in your heart when you felt like a victim? What were you feeling? Lack of control or helpless? Helpless, yeah. Fear. Mm-hmm. Fear. Mm-hmm. Not understood. Mm-hmm. Not understood. For myself, when I used to feel like a victim, I would feel rage. Anger, feeling helplessness, weakness was intolerable to me. And I would feel rage and anger and resentment and hurt. As well as the things that have already been mentioned. Anybody feel those things? The anger, rage? Is that not? I uh, I forgot about that. Say that again, Lawrence. Yes, I I forgot about that, but yeah, very very definitely. I'm feeling it right. Okay, I'm feeling it right now. Yes, all of those feelings. Jennifer and grief also. Mhm. Yeah. What's that grief about, Moira? Um well, I think it's mostly in the past now. But um, it was grief for lost opportunities, for um, the fear, the feeling that I won't, you know, things won't turn out as I would have liked. Uh, Grief for what might have been, um, if-onlys, things like that.
Mm-hmm. I just want to ask, is everybody hearing me okay? Do I, does my, is the sound clear? Yes. Okay, good. Good. This on my end, it was breaking up a little, so I just want to make sure you all can hear me clearly. Uh, Carla, would you like to say anything more? I don't know what to say. That's okay. You don't have to say anything. So real strength is love. It's compassion. It's forgiveness. It's non-judgment. <clears throat> and it says real strength is seen as a threat and health as a danger. Now, let's look at that for a moment. Health could be seen as danger. So weakness is seen as strength and health is seen as danger. Sickness seen as strength, health as danger. It says, sickness is a method conceived in madness for placing God's son on his father's throne. God is seen as outside, fierce and powerful, eager to keep all powerful for himself. Only by God's death can God be conquered by his son. And what in this insane conviction does healing stand for? It symbolizes defeat of God's son and the triumph of his father over him. So, God is good. God is perfect. God is whole. God is complete. God is all-powerful, all-loving. Our experience of perfect health and happiness and wholeness does mean that we have surrendered our need to be separate and to be the king of our world. We have gone back to our father's house to be a servant. Rather than be the king of our own mansion, we've gone to be a servant in our Father's house. That's what wholeness is a sign of. And just once again, cautioning everyone about judging anything. Because if you think of some uh, really... Beloved spiritual teachers have illness and grapple with illness. 
like Thich Nhat Hanh has been very ill, and Thich Nhat Hanh is is uh, practically a saint. And many people who have been sainted, literally sainted by the Catholic Church or other religions, had tremendous illness and challenge in their lifetime. It was part of the healing of their mind. So we don't need to judge it. All things work together for good. There are no exceptions. So valuable to know that and remember that. All things work together for good. There are no exceptions. So when we start thinking, oh, that's not good, because that was a phrase that I used to say in my mind all the time. That was I used to say, well, that sucks, or that's terrible, that's bad, that's wrong. I used to just judge, 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 judge. So my moving more towards having compassion was instead to say, well, that's not good. But at least I wasn't saying it's terrible, it's wrong, it's bad, <laughs> it's it's idiotic. That's not good. And then I finally heard myself say, that's not good, and realized, wait a minute. Everything works together for my good, so how could that not be good? So what does healing stand for? It symbolizes the defeat of God's son and the triumph of his father over him. That's what healing stands for to the ego. It symbolizes the defeat of God's son and the triumph of God over him. Does that make sense? Yes. When we're we're identified with the ego, then healing is a triumph of God, not the ego. It's the defeat of the ego. That's what it means. Anybody not get that? Hi, Jennifer. It's Karen. Um, yeah, that just seems. <laughs> uh, I admit, I I don't get that because it seems like, you know, I really would like to be, uh, you know, completely healthy and healed of whatever aches and pains and situations are going on. So, the this whole passage has in the past really confounded me because it makes sense but yet it doesn't uh i i can't um i can't kind of mesh it with my my own experience yeah yeah i think that's why it's so important to talk about it until we understand it until Mm. we really get it until the light goes on um and I, I've given the example many times. I'm sure you've heard me say that for years, 
literally years, I was teaching the law of cause and effect and teaching it not unlike the way I teach it now, but I wasn't living as though I understood it and believed it because I was still giving myself so much permission to energize things that I never wanted to see made manifest. I didn't actually operate as though I believed what I was teaching, which is that my word has power, my thought has power. Unequivocally, every thought, every word has power. I really thought because that's how I acted. I know that's how I, what I believed. I really believed that only the thoughts I wanted to have power had power. And only the words I wanted to have power had power. And the rest of the time I could complain and blame and attack. And I just wanted to be able to do that without it having any power. And I literally had a veil in my mind convincing myself that unless I wanted it to have power, it didn't have power. And by power, I mean it wouldn't show up in my life. It wasn't going to be made manifest in any way. Simply because I didn't want it to be made manifest, even though I was pouring a lot of energy into it. And the signs that it was manifesting, I could ignore them because I did not wish to see them. Because I did not wish to give up my precious opinions and judgments. They meant so much to me. So here it's saying the ego in its insane conviction believes that healing symbolizes the defeat of ourselves. Because when we're identified with ego, the ego believes that healing means a victory for God. And sickness is a victory for the ego. Sickness is a victory for the ego in the sense that the ego is saying, I don't have to do what you, well, I was going to say want, but that's not really how God operates. So I don't have to be whole, perfect, and complete. I can do whatever I want. I can even make myself sick. This is really confusing to me. Can I say why? Yeah. Okay, so you say it's all it's in our mind, we have the power and so it's the ego. I mean I'm hearing I'm hearing I, I'm I'm really upset, I think. I think I'm thinking close to something because um I am. But um so if I I don't believe that Tiknot Han is 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 controlled by his ego, yet I'm equating ego sickness with the ego and also like so I can heal myself but don't be attached to the healing. It's it's confusing to me. Is that clear? 
Say it again. Oh, it's not clear to me. Um, That's okay. We'll get to clarity. We're doing it together. So, okay. So what I'm hearing is sickness is equated with the ego. Yet I don't think Thich Nhat Hanh is in, controlled by his ego, yet you're saying he has had, he's had bouts of illness. I don't know if he still is. I, I have no idea. But there are people who have died. I mean, the body dies. So it's not the spirit. It's the body that has the illness. I'm really confused. I'm really, really totally confused. I think I'm, I'm upset because I... So I know this is getting to something because I want to cry. Because, I mean, all the doctors told me there's nothing they can do. There's nothing that can be done. And so I feel like you handed out a carrot. Like, it's possible. It's just learn to control your mind. And then there's another story, which I hear like, but don't be attached to the outcome and things happen. I mean, I don't, I'm confused. I'm mad. I'm really, really, really mad. Well, I can't hear anything, so does anybody say anything? The moderator has left the conference. Can you hear me? No, I can Okay, great. So, I, I'm, I um, I heard you, and then uh, I dropped off. So, do you mind finishing your? Do, do you hear when <laughs> I, think, I dropped off? I think I was done. Did you hear me say I was really mad? No, I didn't. <laughs> Yeah, I'm mad because I'm hearing different, I feel like I'm hearing different things. Like, um, it's all my mind, I can heal it, I, it's possible, yet Thich Nhat Hanh is still, he's, I don't know if he's still sick, but there's people who have died, so I, I'm confused. And what's interesting is I had a session with you like nine months ago. And you told me I was really, really angry. So whatever it is you sense, I believe it's coming up right now. Because I'm really, really extremely mad. This is a great thing. <laughs> I can see it's a great thing, but it's upsetting. Yeah. Well, that's that's awakening awareness, Carla. 
to be able to have that awareness while you're feeling those feelings. Yes, truly. I don't know where to go. Yeah, okay. Maybe I don't go so, anywhere. Just be with it, right? I don't know. So one thing you were saying, you started to say something about the body. And one thing is to remember that the body has no volition of its own. So, In other words, the body has no creative power. It can't do anything on its own. It's the power of the mind operating in and as the body. But there have been many people. I mean, people die, right? I mean, I don't know. Any, everybody yeah. dies. You know, eventually. Well, and, and not every, no, no, it's not the true. Body, the body dies. Not true. Right. The body doesn't always die, Carla. What does it do? Well, sometimes it uh, transforms. Sometimes it transforms into light energy. Sometimes it it shrinks tremendously and then disappears, leaving just relics behind, like teeth and fingernails. It doesn't always die. Jesus' body did not, I mean... He didn't die on the cross? Didn't he roll away the stone and walk out? Did the body die? But anyway, some people's bodies die and some people's don't. What what is your what is the point you wanted to make about that? I have no idea. I just That's okay. Know that That's okay. I feel like it's um I'm confused because I, I feel like this is what I was thinking. I think maybe this is when you dropped off. Is that I feel like Feeling like is actually a thought, so I don't know what it is. But um, I thought what else? My thinking, whether it was right or wrong or true or false, my thinking was this is this is what I have to deal with in my body. And then, and then, like I really understand. I mean, I don't really understand. I'm getting a glimpse of cause and effect it's all in our mind so it's possible to heal heal but but i don't know that it always manifests in the body the mind may be healed but the body may not appear like it's healed right yes is that what i'm hearing so i i that's why i'm mad i really I think I may have misheard because I was really anticipating 
to I have to heal heal my mind and my body will be healed, but that's not true and I'm kinda of mad. I think it's what I'm I'm mad, I think. Because what's the use? I mean I what what my ego says, I think, what's the use if <laughs> if uh, that's the case? And like Yes. What is the use? What is the use of doing all this healing work if the body still won't be healed? What is the use of it? Yes, that is such a valuable question, Carla. Yes, thank you. No, really, what is the use? Thank you. You're being honest? Yes. What is the use of it? What is the use of doing all of this to heal the mind and the body still is not healed? You know, this kind of brings up something for me you know, along these lines. And uh, it, it's the same thing that came up a few weeks ago in a call. Uh, it was a very similar discussion. I think it was in the, um, you know, the ML2 class. And it, it, it was about this very same subject, you know, where the uh, objective, if you will, is to heal the mind and then the body may or may not heal. Um, and... I, too, I, I was listening to it on replay, and I was so angry. I Yeah, I was feeling a lot of feelings of anger, and I wished that I, you know, or I, yeah, I was. I wished that I had been on the call uh, to be able to speak in that moment, um, because what arose and was the image, and I've seen it before in my mind. There's this image that I hold that, you know, of being you know, contorted and twisted in some sort of institutional setting, um, you know, which I've seen. I've seen, you know, bodies, Mm -hmm. you know, just contorted from disease. uh, And the sense is, okay, this is where you're going to have to come to. You're going to have to be in what seems like, you know, ultimate physical hell, but somehow, you know, just be, you know, transcend all that and be so happy and not bothered by you know what I write ne- right now appear to be horrific circumstances, and uh, you know I guess that's some sort of belief in my mind that that's you know what's being asked is basic I guess basically like like a crucifixion of of some sort, um, like yes uh, you know you need to be crucified or I need to be crucified but in a sense be able to transcend it somehow and not mind and, you know, um, be in all sorts of pain, but somehow, you know, have some sort of transcendent smile and not feel, uh, you know, what's um, what's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, in, yeah, in that call, and in this one, I'm not feeling it quite as much right now because during maybe, I mean, it helped during, 
during the listening to that call, I just, you know, really worked with that image and saw again, oh, there's that, you know, that real that belief, I guess. You know, I guess when I read A Course in Miracles and uh I hear that ultimately our fear is of God, you know, that he, she, it will strike us down and on the on the surface level that's like, What? I you know, I love God. I believe, you know, what uh, that this this is the ultimate loving source, and I want to merge with it and be one. And, but yet, yeah, there is that that feeling, that image underneath um, that is elicited, and sometimes in these discussions, these very discussions, it, the sense is like, yeah, um, yeah, basically, uh, you will be put into some uh, horrific circumstances the ego will consider that horrific but if you transcend that uh, and realize who you are the circumstances will stay the same perhaps but you will not feel it and then the ego within me you know it's like i don't want that and you know it's an intellectual understanding like oh right maybe um if uh i uh, the mind is completely healed at that point i won't you know the circ- I won't mind the circumstances, um, but there's still you know this energetic or yes, like pushing that away, like a resistance, a holding back. Um, that's that's I guess kind of elicited by this image and this belief. And I guess that's just what it is. Yeah, it's just this belief that's running underneath. Mm-hmm. You know, um, <laughs> running underneath everything, probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then getting back to the value, you know, value. Like, what pay mm-hmm. that? What kind of value could that be? But, you know, just in retrospect, um, uh, you know, I have experienced expansion and, and opening my mind just as, you know, that's, well, that was part of how my path started. It just opened me up to alternative medicines and alternative ways of looking at things. So there seems to be some value in that. I mean, that's fueled by the belief that, oh, right, if I felt good and things were, you know, if I if I just felt good, then I would be complacent, you know, and then the expansion would stop. So that's another, you know, belief that, is not necessarily true and that I don't necessarily have to live by. Um, yeah, and there was there was something else, but um yeah, that oh, and then the other thing that kind of trips me up too sometimes is oftentimes you, I've heard healers talk about um you know, uh not interfering with other people's paths implying or i inferred that someone else's challenging situation um you know is ultimately for their growth and so that healer didn't want to quote unquote interfere you know maybe alleviate the situation because then it would take away from that person's growth and so in my mind i equated that with oh right you know it's it's okay for someone to suffer. It's okay, you know, to have pain because there's some mm-hmm. value in that. Um, so, 
and I'm and I think you know I mentioned last night I'm I'm opening and much you know opening to the sense of maybe that was you know at a certain time you know in our collective development and our individual developments and maybe now um I can you know look past those beliefs into and step into you know a new a new paradigm you know where um we don't need to learn that way anymore yeah so you know some of these i guess you know just unraveling seeing these beliefs in this discussion is helping me to you know bring them up again um and to see them um but yeah i feel like you know just in tonight's discussion i nothing was coming you know in the beginning of the class and i just felt kind of you like these beliefs can appear to still trip me up although I'm, i don't want to energize that but yeah these beliefs are uh, are there and yeah i'd like to uh, i'm willing to look at them and give them up Me too. Me too. I do remember um, many years ago, uh, I had a very severe back situation that lasted for about a year and a half, and it was really the for you know the subject that was paramount in my mind. And mm-hmm. and I remember one morning, like feeling okay. And fear arose, and it was so odd, you know, I, um, to notice that, oh, my God, I'm afraid of the very thing that I've been hoping for, <laughs> you know. Like uh-huh. the, pain, the, pain, the pain is finally gone, and this is causing fear. And I wasn't very introspective at the time. I mean, this was a long time ago. Um, but I did take, you know, I did note that, there was a sense of, oh, well, what do I do now? I've spent so much time uh, devoted to, um, yeah. you know, trying to undo this pain. Like, who am I now? What am, what am I going to do? Uh, and yes. that guy, it kind of just stopped, this stayed there. Uh, but I guess it's kind of the same thing, right? Um, yes. If I see yeah, this illness, you know, or certain certain more musculoskeletal skeletal issues you know that's um but yeah they be, have become a part of my identity and it's almost like right if i really let go of that you know if i really become you know uh not constrained say by back situations or you know have to put a stop on myself for certain physical activities you know within reason of course you know that that now opens up a whole new you know a whole new venue or a whole new way of being and also you know the the seeking outside of myself um always you know this whole um most back it's both mostly been a back thing over the years you know just trying to find you know that person you know that special person that special practitioner that will that will just do it for me, you know, and fix me. Um, and so I've worked with, you know, kind of reclaiming that, you know, pulling that cord back in. Um, mm. And, um, yeah, and those relationships and almost like that lifestyle of 
seeing a chiropractor and the camaraderie with the other people there and the relationships. There seems to be, you know, a sense of potential loss um, and, a, you know, a sense of being out on one's own, right? You know, like, who could I really sustain, you know, good health on my own without some sort of support, some sort of something outside. Uh, so, yeah, you I know, guess Karen, these are all values. <laughs> that, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> no, this is this is really great what you're sharing. It's very helpful. Because think about, and probably we all know this, but if you don't, um, it's very common for uh, people, mostly men, who are imprisoned for a number of years, that when they get out of prison, they will literally go right out and commit another crime in order to go back to prison. It's very mm. common. It's a very common phenomenon. And uh, I remember seeing some movie, I can't even begin to think of what the title is, but it had, I want to say, Keanu Reeves and, I don't know, maybe Harvey Keitel or something in it. And it, it was about that same kind of a thing. I've seen a few movies about that, and it's definitely uh, a phenomenon because what happens is once when they're in prison, their day is ordered. Uh, they don't have to figure out what to do or where to go or how to pay the bills. And there's a very, very rigid structure in there. There's a social hierarchy. There are all these things. And um, they, they're given a job, you know, to work in the laundry or make license plates or whatever, you know. And um, they have access to reading materials and different, you know, ways to entertain themselves, even, even though it's an extremely limited life and they don't have a sense of true freedom, they don't have to have the level of, seemingly, they don't have to have the level of responsibility Mm. that those of us who are paying our bills and deciding when we'll eat and deciding what we'll eat and um, where we'll go and who will interact, you know, we decide that. It's a lot more responsibility and a lot more challenges. And so it's very common that prisoners will get out and if they've been in there for long enough that they will commit a crime and go right back um, because they just can't handle it on the outside. Mm-hmm. And um, we, I, I've definitely seen that. I'm trying to think of where exactly, but I have felt it in myself too in ways that, uh, you know, for a minute it seems like you're going to have what you'd like to have and the freedom, the level of expansion you'd like to have, and then, oh, I don't know if I can handle that level of freedom and responsibility. In fact, I started to um, think of, and this this is for uh, uh I was thinking we would do this in year two. Um, 
I was thinking about something very similar yesterday uh, uh, for the year two class, and maybe we'll end up exploring it there. But uh, starting to ask the questions like, if you thought you were smarter, what would you do differently in your life? If you thought you were smarter. If you thought you were more loving, what would you do differently in your life? If you thought you were more attractive, what would you do differently in your life? If you thought you were more spiritual, what would you do differently? If you thought you had more money, what would you do differently? questions to ponder. Well, I know um, a few calls ago you had asked the question uh, if you really knew that life is eternal, you know, what would you be doing differently or how how would mm-hmm. you be living differently? Mm-hmm. And um, that that does come to mind quite often when I catch myself, you know, thinking in terms of time frames, you know, uh, especially because there's so much talk at work usually about retirement, who's retiring, and people are counting their years and all that sort of stuff. So um, it's just, it's not necessarily, oh, I'm going to run out and quit my job or, you know, leave my marriage, but it's more, well, why am I here, you know, in this marriage, or why am I right now, knowing that life is eternal, or at least considering that life is eternal, um, you know, why am I in this job, and that it helps me to remember, you know, and really more focus on what I'm truly interested in, in the job, or in the marriage, it helps to really reorient me, because originally, um, or on the surface, that question was threatening, you know, because now, oh, if I'm not happy with this, then I'll leave that, or if I'm, you know, so I'll quit my job and I'll leave my marriage or whatever. Um, But instead, it's helped to reorient me to what is really, um, yeah, what's really true for me in each area of my life. What, I guess, you know, getting more to the deep desire of my heart and how different these different aspects of my life help to support that um, instead of maybe looking at other aspects of it, you know, allowing myself to maybe complain or be less than satisfied, to be kind of let down in certain ways. Um, that question has helped reorient me to, like I said, uh, how are these things helping me, or how can I, how can I focus, you know, on what I truly want within these realms? Yes, and is what we desire in these realms, or can it only be expressed in these realms that we have it already? Yeah, it's more like how yeah, how are these realms or what is the opportunity within these realms to help me realize or mm-hmm. that just yeah, realize that I have it within me by uh continuing to remove the blocks to seeing that and to being that. 
And what if we put all our yeah? What if we put all our attention on the mind, healing the mind? All of our attention on healing the mind. It says here, just to finish up this um, little section, the perceived purpose of sickness. It says, if we're healed, if he is healed, if the ego is healed, if he is healed, he is responsible for his thoughts. And if he is responsible for his thoughts, he will be killed to prove to him how weak and pitiful he is. But if he chooses death himself, his weakness is his strength. Now has he given himself what God would give to him, and thus entirely usurped the throne of his creator. So if he is healed, he is responsible for his thoughts. And if he is responsible for his thoughts, he will be killed to prove to him how weak and pitiful he is. So if, if let's say, a person is has many, many attack thoughts and is going to take responsibility for them, the perception is he'll be killed. He'll be killed. He will die. The taking responsibility is death, leads to death. He will be killed to prove to him how weak and pitiful he is. That's why nobody wants to take responsibility. Everybody wants to push it out on someone else. Projection. Because to take responsibility leads to weakness and death. He'd be killed, killed by God, punished. But if he chooses death himself to escape from taking responsibility, we'll choose death ourselves, then we're in control and our weakness is our strength. If we choose death ourselves rather than take responsibility, So if we take responsibility, God's going to kill us. But if we choose death ourselves, we avoid taking responsibility. And our weakness is our strength. And then... So is it it saying that we're avoiding... Go ahead. Is it saying that we're avoiding taking responsibility because we will be just too shamed and, and guilty yes, for... We'll be punished. Yeah. We'll be punished. Right. So instead, we punish ourselves by choosing death. Instead of choosing eternal life, we choose death. There's no other choice. I mean, clearly, there's no other choice. Eternal life or death. Eternal life is achieved through taking responsibility. We remember our eternal nature through taking responsibility. And there's no, if we're going to take responsibility, we're released from death. We're literally released from it, literally, into the recognition of our eternal nature through taking responsibility. 
Yeah, but then we are not not choosing death. We are not getting death because we we are relieved. We are in the eternal life. We don't die. Right, but the only way we'll actually be, we'll choose that is if we're not identified with the ego. Because to the ego, taking responsibility is a form of death. But uh, that's that's really our goal, not to identify with the ego. That's That's really what we're trying to work on. We're working in that direction. That's right. So the awakened person recognizes that taking responsibility, there's no punishment. There's no... Uh, nothing to fear in taking responsibility. It's the way out. Because yeah. the mind, because the, the one who is awakening realizes the mind is so powerful. If I can take responsibility, I'm realizing my mind has the power to release me from the prison I created by taking responsibility for it. It's the way out. But to the ego, taking responsibility is death. Because it's taking the blame and that God will punish us. So in order to escape God's punishment, we just, we die. But this means we are totally committed to the ego. Right. If if we are not totally committed to the ego, we always have, still, we will go back to to uh, looking towards God. Well, and remember what the Course says again and again. It's There's no a little of this, a little that. It's one or the other. So as we were talking about at the beginning of the class, everything works together for good. There are no exceptions. So that's the whole thing about God is there are no exceptions. None. But to the ego's mind, oh, there's just infinite number of exceptions. You know, these people are good, but these people are not. You know, and these people are bad, but except for this one. This one is good. I like this one. (laughs) The ego is just a litany of exceptions. That's why I say one of the things that was so helpful to me in discerning the truth is the truth is true for everyone without exception. Carla. Yeah. You you were going to say something? No. Not recently. Oh. How are you feeling, Carla? I think I had a turning point at some time. Um, I I realized that the the choice. I mean, maybe that's the ego there duality, but that. Um, what's more important to me? 
my body, or relationship with God. Yeah. That's it right there. So this is one of the, the, the real challenges for all of us. We have our own way, unique way of working with it. So for some people, it's the attachment to healing looks like this. And if I don't get my healing to look like this, then I'm doing something wrong. I'm doing something bad. God doesn't love me. I'm being punished. Because to the ego, the concept of it's all good does not exist. Isn't that part of making ourselves feel special? Like everybody else can be healed. I can't because I'm special. Well, that's the meaning that the ego makes of it is that it's it's either... God doesn't love me enough, or I'm bad, I'm wrong, or or God is a terrible God, an evil father, a, a, a judger and a attacker, and I'm afraid of God because obviously God is punishing me and I can't seem to, you know, do enough to get through it. If I was lovable, God would heal me. Yeah, I guess I still have challenges with this as well, just because I know my healing is everybody's healing. And so if I was healed, then my husband wouldn't be sick. Although maybe that's not true. Maybe I'm just attached to his body being well. Attachments are very sticky sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes they're very, very sticky. And um, I remember... Working with someone who had very severe illness and the attachment to healing being in the body was so strong. Mm-hmm. It was just very, very strong. And so the the sense that I had was that that was why the the body was so challenged 
because there was such an attachment to the healing had to show up in the body. Or it was God wasn't real, that it was a failure, that he deserved to be punished. And all these things are totally understandable. Mm -hmm. And they're all going to fall away. They will not stand. Whether it's today or tomorrow or whenever it is in the way it seems to be unfolding in time and space, these will all fade into nothingness. You know, and I I, I see us all sitting around a table going, can you believe how long I, hang, I hung on to that illness? Oh, my God. I just, boy, I hung on to it for so long. Or we might be saying, wow, gosh, can you believe how helpful that illness was? Boy, that was such a blessing. Oh, my God. What an amazing blessing. All the gifts that came from that. Poof. And some people reject it. But boy, was it a blessing in my life. But we will reach the point where we're totally grateful for everything. And then we won't need to remember it at all. Well, I'm grateful, very grateful to be on this journey with all of you. Me too. <laughs> yeah. So in our healing, let us recognize that choosing responsibility which is death to the ego, is our salvation. It is our our ticket to eternal life. Well, I am going to say a prayer and play a song, if my phone allows it. Can you still hear me? Yes. Okay, good. (laughs) It was very quiet. And my phone's not very responsive right now. So let's take that breath of love and gratitude together. So grateful, so thankful to open our hearts and open our minds to the power and presence of love healing us now. We are grateful and thankful to allow ourselves to take responsibility. 
We stand with the Holy Spirit in love, so grateful, so thankful for our healing. We partner up with the Holy Spirit, the higher self, the holy self, to claim our healed awareness of the truth. We're claiming our freedom. We are grateful and thankful to release ourselves from the prisons of the mind, the prisons of the body, the prisons of this world. We relieve ourselves of all sickness by offering it to the Holy Spirit. We are grateful and thankful to be able to take responsibility, to claim our healing, to stand in love together. In gratitude, we share the benefits of our healing and our expansion with everyone because we're one with them. In deep and abiding gratitude, we allow the healing to be. We let it be. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hmm. I'm going to see if I can play the song I'd like to play. No, the website won't let me do it. So, I'm going to play instead uh, the Daniel Neymar song called Sacred Love. Sacred Love. It's beautiful. Um, it feels healing to me. God bless you. I love you all so much.
Lead the way, God, lead. 